guys. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a fun podcast with my friend Phil Kramer, Kramer Hunts on Instagram. I want to thank you guys for your support of this podcast. I love hearing from you guys. If you want to send me an email, you can do so at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is at jscottoutdoors. I just really appreciate all of the feedback, the questions, the comments, all of the interaction with you guys, and I really appreciate you guys supporting this podcast. Uh, I also thank you guys for supporting the sponsors of this podcast. I hear every day from the sponsors uh, different uh, listeners uh, from all over the world actually uh, utilize the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank the sponsors, GoHunt.com. Uh, my friend Cody Nelson, he's the optics manager over at the gear shop at GoHunt.com. If you're interested in purchasing any optics at all, binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, range finders, tripods, whatever it may be, you can reach him at 702-847-8747. Uh, that's extension 2. You can send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. Uh, Cody's been a friend of 20-plus years, probably closer to 25 now. I was actually in Cody's wedding uh, and I've known him for a long time, and he routinely takes care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners and gives them good deals on all that stuff. So uh, reach out to Cody. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu, Ultralight Hunting. That's Kuyu, K-U-I-U.com. If you need to find out more information, you can order products and gear right off of the Kuyu.com website. Uh, also tune in to my uh, Q&A sessions on my Instagram story. I always answer questions about Kuyu gear. If you have any questions, feel free to send me a uh, direct message and I'll make sure to get it answered the best that I can. Uh, thanks to Kuyu for their sponsorship. Also, PhoneScope, uh, PhoneScope.com. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And then OnXMaps.com. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. Now, uh, when you order on Onyx, they send you an email right after you order. Use the promo code in the email, and they'll credit you the 20%. Uh, Onyx Maps makes the best phone app, uh, the mapping app that is, I use it every day on my phone, whether it be for hunting, fishing, or my real estate business. Uh, just incredible aerial imagery, uh, topo imagery and a hybrid imagery that you can just toggle back and forth with the touch of a button. Um, and it's got a great feature, breadcrumb feature, uh, tracking feature. Uh, it's got a me line measuring tool uh, distance feature. Uh, I can import and export all of my stuff from Google Earth onto Onyx Maps. Uh, it's just it's a great tool. I want to thank Onyx for their sponsorship. Guys, save 20%. Use the JScott19 promo code. Let's get right to this episode with Bill Kramer. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a fun episode with my friend Phil Kramer, Kramer Hunts on Instagram. Phil, how you doing? I'm doing real good, Jay. Doing real good. How about yourself, buddy? Good. Um, seems like the last time we talked, you were headed on a archery uh, deer hunt. Uh, and then you had some antelope hunting to do. How, how's the last month or so gone for you? You know, Jay, it's been really good. Um, I did go down and spend, uh, I think, six, seven days archery deer hunting 
over the counter in uh, southern Arizona on the early hunt, focused on coos, of course, and uh, just had a great time. I wasn't able to fill my tag, but I sure came away with a lot of great encounters and, and just had a really good time in the woods and interacting with the deer, you know, being that close to coos deer and any time you get to be around them is just a phenomenal time. I can't tell you that uh, I'm happy with the outcome, but, you know, that's hunting. It's no guarantee, and even though I had some great bucks patterned and on camera, it just didn't work out. I did pass some bucks that most people would... Uh, wouldn't hesitate to shoot and i'm still kind of questioning my sanity now as we sit here talking about it but, <laughs> but with goes, that being know. said phil um you do have a rifle tag in your pocket as well um so you were probably being a little bit choosy as to what you were going to go after right for sure i do have a uh, late december rifle tag in my pocket um it's not necessarily my preferred number one unit but it is a, a really good unit nonetheless where actually i've taken my biggest coos deer um, in arizona out of so i uh had that burning you know in the back of my mind every time a buck came into one of my salt licks and i was there um you know so it, it made it a little easier to let some of those deer walk but the uh the antler growth just seems to be really good this year and, and there were some bucks that came in that i i feel are fairly young and they have the potential to just blow up into monsters um so that made it a little easier too to let some of them walk just with the anticipation of what they could be so all in all it was a great time great time and then i moved up north um packed that up and headed up there for the antelope rifle antelope season in unit 10 had a really good friend of mine that had waited a long, long year uh, time to draw the tag. He drew it last year, actually. Got into some health issues and uh, used point guard and turned the tag back in, and then he drew it again this year. So it was um, kind of a do-or-die situation. We, we had to make it work, and from some scouting efforts, we could tell that the bucks weren't quite what they normally are. Um, you know, but you, you play the hand that you're dealt, and that's what we did. And I had another good friend who had waited you know 15 plus years to draw the tag and he had one as well and we went up there and, and worked really hard and passed some bucks that later on got killed you know in that 80 82 inch range and no regrets just keep pounding it out and we ended up taking an 80 and change buck and an, an 83 inch buck so it uh for a hard year it was a really good time but we uh we made it work and everybody came away happy well, that's good. Um, going back to your archery deer hunt, you had a couple nice, big, mature bucks that you had kind of patterned. Um, did you see them at all during the course of your set? Uh, well, let me back up. Did you pretty much sit all day? What were your hours? And then did you see any of those mature deer during your set, you know, that maybe didn't come into bow range, but you could see them? Or did they come in at night or at all? Well, I guess uh, to, to start with that, I was sitting 13 hours a day, roughly 13, 13 and a half, depending on uh, the overcast situation. If it was really overcast, I was getting out a little bit early just because I'd lose the light and wouldn't be able to see my pins. But um, I was sitting all day, um, dark to dark. Um, it was really, really dry. Uh, I think we talked about it before, how we had really good winter moisture. And then the monsoons just didn't materialize. Um, and what they did do, they were really spotty. So 
Uh, I kind of focused on a couple of my sets that were a little closer to water, um, but the deer were just, there was no pattern to speak of. They are kind of hit and miss all over the place. Um, I did have my, my oldest buck that I have ever had on camera come in, but he came in in the middle of the night. Um, you know, obviously I couldn't do anything with that. I just checked the pictures the next morning and shook my head. Um, that being said, I did have one really good quick rainstorm, uh, I think on the fifth, fourth or fifth day that I was in the blind. And I got back in there the next morning and I had more deer activity than I had the entire four or five days prior to that. And I had a really good buck um, come in right around in that 110, 112 range. He came in with, shoot, I think there were five does at the lick at the time. And then he came in with a spike and a two point as well. Um, just really fun to watch. I, I, I was tempted so many times. I mean, I pulled my bow back. I, I did everything I I could except for execute the shot. So, I, you know, I did have that big mature buck come in, but it wasn't the top on my hit list. So, all in all, let him walk and shaking my head. So, um, <laughs> you know, like to answer your question, I I didn't have any deer come in that didn't commit all the way to the lick. Um, that being said, I was sitting up in a, a pretty good saddle where I, I you know, visibility is limited for me. So I'm only looking, able to look 80 to 100 yards out there. Um, other than the really big old mature buck uh, that came in in the middle of the night, I didn't have any other deer that came in um, at night that didn't come in in the daytime as well. So that was a good thing. I, I heard you... Um if you guys hear uh, Canadian geese in the background, I'm actually at my place in Colorado, um, and they're flying in and out of the lake here. So if you see uh, it, or if you hear uh, craziness going on in the background, that's what's going on. The, the geese are flying in and out. Um, I hear you mention that after the rainstorm, you had more activity than you had the whole week. We've talked a little bit about it before, um, but haven't you said that after a rain that those deer for whatever reason they head to salt for sure jay um and normally that's why when the, we have some decent monsoons the the salt licks just pick up on activity you know um, two three four times what they normally would before those rains start and when the rains didn't happen this year it was very hit or miss um very infrequent visits to the salt other than the does that had fawns the does that had fawns were two three four five times a day coming in uh, on a consistent basis every day the bucks however they were i had a couple bucks show up early like they normally do um, when the rains didn't materialize i never got another picture of them so it i think it played havoc on my early season um that being said I think they had enough carryover moisture from the winter that the feed was still pretty decent when they were growing. Um, because I just saw, like every buck, if they were going to grow an extra, they grew an extra. I mean, I, I've seen more extra points and kickers and everything this year than I've ever seen in my life. Um, just phenomenal. Now, while I was down there archery deer hunting, though, the feed was, was starting to really peter out all of the the winter feed was pretty much dead um and i, I was getting pretty worried about what the deer were going to do going into the summer and, or fall 
that being said, I went up on the antelope hunts, and then I came back and uh, got back down there the 1st of October and started scouting and then went on a bear hunt. And they had gotten a couple rains in between that mid to late November or September and before uh, the 1st of October, and the grass just looked phenomenal. It was up waist high again. And, really? And the country looked good. Yeah, I was really surprised. So, I mean, from the time you were there in in kind of mid to late August to when you went back October 1st, the grass had already grown up a couple feet? For sure. Yeah, I mean, wow. it, it was up to the knees and, and almost all places, and some places down in the bottom of some of the draws, it was up to your waist. Uh, it, it was phenomenal. I talked to a couple of the ranchers down there, and they said right about mid to late September, they just got pounded with three or four rainstorms back to back and it just absolutely ignited the grass so good um, that was a pleasant surprise yeah I was really happy with it so as far as antler growth everything you've seen on your cameras um, it, it looks really good um, extra points longer points just just any you know bucks at maximum p potential you think I do. Um, it, I would say it's definitely above average, Jay. And I've had bucks that, you know, have been pretty much the same year after year after year. I've had them for four or five years. And then this year, coming into the growing season, they kind of started late. And I thought, well, it's just going to be the same old same. And then when they finished out, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised with the way they finished. They added more inches than I've seen them do ever that I've ever had them on camera. Well, that's exciting. That's um, and do you have cameras going in enough units uh, that you can, or have you spent some time in several of those units down there that you can speak, or have you heard of widespread, you know, late kind of September rains that it kind of bailed us out, or are you is your knowledge this year limited to pretty much one unit? Um, right now, Jade, for where I've been uh, since I've. I've come back from the antelope hunts. I've, I've been in three different units, um, and they've all gotten pretty decent late summer moisture. Um, they all looked really good. It didn't look like there was enough rain to really affect runoff to where they were going to get, you know, filling up any of the dirt tanks or anything. Um, but as far as grass and, and, you know, the ocotillos being leafed out and the mesquites being beamed up, um, it looked really good. And like I said, that was in three different units. So I think in that southeastern corner of the state anyway, um, it was pretty widespread. Uh, that's good to hear. That's awesome. So you've got uh, the late December tag uh, in your pocket. Um, you know, we're sitting here uh, with the October-November cooster hunts, guys listening. Um, you know, it's good to get reports kind of in, in multiple units like that. Um, what are you doing now to scout for, because I get a lot of questions, you know, what do I do now if I have a December hunt? As far as scouting, what what kind of tips can you give guys and what are you doing, you know, with that tag coming in December? Well, there, there's a couple ways that I go about it, Jay. Um, right now, I, I spend more time glassing and actually putting eyes on country than I do anything else um mainly not necessarily looking for a particular buck now if i find one i'm i'm thrilled to death with that however 
more looking for areas that I want to focus on when the hunt gets closer to where I can get a good vantage point into areas that I know that deer will be. Um, a lot of the areas that I hunt, the deer don't travel a lot. They're going to be, you know, within a mile of where they are all year. So even though I have that lake tag, I'm not banking on a rut hunt per se. I do want to focus on areas that have a little higher concentration in deer if I can. But I'm going out and I'm looking at the country and I'm trying to find those areas I want to be later. I'm, I might be looking at water that, okay, this is going to hold throughout the fall and into the winter. I'm looking for sign. And then if I'm out there while the other hunts are going on, I'm, I'm kind of watching where the pressure is, where the majority of the people are putting uh, their time in, and then trying to get an idea on being able to go back and, and take another inventory after some of those hunts are done to see if any of the target bucks have been killed or if I can relocate them and see if they're in the same spot. Um, you know, it, it's one of those deals on the later hunt scouting right now looking for the particular deer might be good, but he's going to see a lot of pressure between now and then. So you got to look at the country more than anything and, and where you're going to have your best opportunity to find them later on in the year in the hunts after the hunts have gone through. And that's kind of what I focus on now. Phil, wouldn't you say, you know, as much as you've hunted in southern Arizona for coos deer and coos deer in general in Arizona, um, I found that if you can find those areas where the four-wheel drive roads, you know, the, the quad roads and such end, and you have to cross one big canyon and get up on a, the next big ridge, it seems like if, if you can find those spots where you find the roadless areas, but find where, you know, say it's a 45-minute or an hour, you know, going pretty darn good clip of a hike to get, you know, away from vehicle pressure, if you can get one big canyon across from those access points, it seems like the numbers of deer and numbers of bucks and quality of bucks goes up. Just curious if you've had the same experience, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, Jay, I have. Um, there, there's two different spots that I seem to have my best luck locating deer consistently time and time again and quality deer and ones like you say if you can get away from the people and I, I won't put it into time wise but I'll, I'll put it into effort if you can put some effort into where you're spending 45 minutes to an hour of exertion whether it be straight up a mountain or like you say across a canyon away from the closest easy access point access point you're going to find deer especially if there's cover and water somewhere close the other spot that I've really had really good luck with is areas that people just drive by. Um, I can't tell you how many spots I've found that I've, I've patterned big bucks consistently year after year, and they seem to make it through the hunts, are areas that people are just blowing by, going to a favorite glassing spot or going to a canyon or a point or anything like that. It might just be a little roller hill that gets over in a cut and you got some cover and decent feed um it might be the type of thing that one area i'm thinking of in particular is it's at the base of a mountain and everyone just flies up to the top of the mountain and they're side by sides and jeeps and everything else and they drive right all by the deer that are at the bottom and those deer you live year in and year out right there and i'm able to go back and find them every year um, so those those two places, those two types of areas, I should say, 
are ones that I focus on and ones that I know that I can go in time and time again and find deer and quality deer. And it makes it really fun when you get in those areas because if you can find a young buck with good potential and you don't get it, kill him, he's likely to live again and come back and you'll be able to find him the next year and the next year and the next year. Um, you know, on public land, that's pretty key if you're going to do it for the long haul and want to be consistent, you know, with your results every year. And like I said, two different spots. The one spot is where you got to really put the effort and the exertion in. And it might not be walking five miles. It might be walking half a mile but straight up a mountain. Or the other spot is where it's really easy and people don't even think about it and they overlook it and they drive right past it. Will you be, in essence, on your December tag, will you be targeting a couple of specific bucks that you have either A, seen in the past, or B, have trail camera pictures of, or will you be more freelancing just trying to be in good country and just looking for a new buck? I'm going to do a combination of both, Jay, and, and what I mean by that, let me explain a little bit, is I've got cameras down in the unit where I have my late tag. However, it's not just myself that has the late tag. My cousin has the late tag as well, and then I've got a retired couple who have drawn the late tag, both of them, a husband and a wife, as well. So I've kind of spread the cameras out to some really easy-to-get places and then to some places that take really, you know, quite a bit of effort to get there. That being said, with what I've seen on the camera so far, I can't say that there's a buck in particular that I want to put my tag on. However, I've got a couple really nice bucks that, you know, are up there that I know my cousin, he's already said, man, I'd love to shoot that deer, as well as my retired friends who have the tags. Um, you know, they've, they've seen a number of the bucks that I've got pictures of that they said, man, we'd really like to get there. So I'm going to do a combination. I'm going to try and get those, some of the, you know, those guys, the bucks that they're happy with, that they would be really tickled pink to put their tags on and then I'm going to go freelance and look at new country and glass and you know that time of year the days are short but it's fairly cool and the deer get up and down all day and I'm going to uh, maybe try and find that needle in a haystack that of the magic that just appears we've done it before you know I've um, been with people when I've glassed up bucks that I've never seen even in areas where I have cameras and that's kind of what I'm hoping for so combination of both if that answers your question or makes any sense <laughs> for sure and as far as a strategy for that i believe that hunt starts well like the 13th or something like that what's your strategy with the amount of time you're going to put in you know as far as when are you going to focus your time early you know during the middle late you know what's your plan I'm, I'm torn a little bit because normally I, I make a trip uh, to Mexico right after Christmas and, um, you know, run cameras and kind of get a feel for things and maybe do a little hunting. However, with the late tag in my pocket and, and some other tags that are there, um, you know, with the guys that I mentioned, I'm thinking I'll probably get down early, um, you know, spend that first week down there, maybe five days or so, See if we can't get some of those hit list bucks killed and, uh, you know, some of the tags filled. And then that, in essence, kind of takes the pressure off. And then um, that kind of leaves me to go and, and look in new country and see what I can find. So I'm thinking I'll hit it really hard that first week. Uh, you know, there's only 
a handful of tags compared to most hunts during that late hunt. So I'm not really worried about pressure. But if I could get a couple of those tags filled, then that would, you know, really make it easier for me to go freelance and, and look at new stuff and spend some time chasing um, deer that, you know, might just show up or I might be able to find in some tucked-in places. And if I do that, then I'll really focus on that last week of the year, um, kind of forego or move around my Mexico trip on that time of the year and uh, just really put some effort into spending some time on the mountain and uh, getting some glass on something that, you know, might be a boomer buck. You never know. I want to talk a little bit about um, Unit 10. You're up there for the antelope hunt and kind of your recap of how Unit 10 looked. You mentioned that the antelope, uh, the, the growth on the antelope didn't seem to be as good. It's interesting. I've seen it so many times and heard it so many times that on, you know, really wet winters, really wet springs, the antelope just don't seem to grow like they do on dry years. Um, that's one thing I, I'm interested in your thoughts on. And then number two, just talking in general about what you witnessed as far as the, the you know, how did Unit 10 look? Um, the conditions, uh, if you were able to see any elk, and, you know, just your overall thoughts there on Unit 10. Sure. Um, Unit 10, it had been a few years since I'd spent, you know, any time there. I uh, grew up in the unit and then kind of went other ways to find areas that were a little easier for me to draw. And so this was the first real time in the last four or five years that I've spent uh, any considerable time in the unit and it the conditions were tough i mean it, it was rough there there was very few dirt tanks that had water um, one huge benefit of unit 10 and the bokeas especially is is the water system that they have so at least you have permanent water um, for the animals to you know drink and and that basically holds the animals and um the antelope was hard. I mean, we, we found bucks that we had actually found last year before my buddy turned his tag in, and they were nowhere near the caliber of bucks that they were the year before. Um, I'm, I'm really anxious to actually have uh, Eli and, and Dave and some of the guys from Pronghorn Guide Service get back from Wyoming because I want to pick their brain a little bit on it. Um, kind of come up with a theory uh, someone told me, and it makes sense that on the on the wet winters there and coming into the spring and stuff when you have good moisture, they said there's a, a weed basically that grows that chokes out the antelope's natural feed, and it doesn't give them near the nutrients or protein that this other feed that gets choked out does, and man, that makes perfect sense. So I'm trying to find as many people as I can talk to that have some knowledge about antelope and see if that might be the cause because the growth just wasn't there, and I found that really interesting from a couple people that I'd heard. So I want to kind of hit the experts up with it when they get back and, and see what they think of it. Um, that being said, the elk that we saw were just phenomenal. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could you could find a young bull. I mean, just you could tell he's a young bull. I mean, doesn't have a deep chest, no hump, and he's got phenomenal backs. I mean, he's have these big old well tails, and you're looking at him, and he's like a 320 bull, and he should be like a 240, 260 bull. I mean, it's just unbelievable what we saw. Saw some giants um, as as we kind of 
gone into different areas, and we spent a lot of time glassing, um, you know, doing a lot of long-range glassing, so it made it to where we could see quite a few elk, and they were just starting to bugle and gather cows, and it made it pretty fun um, in a lot of different areas that we were in, but the, the elk were just phenomenal. Um, I saw a couple of the same bulls that Dollar had seen um, when he was up there, and then I've seen a couple other bulls that actually got killed, and the numbers just blew me away on what they were. Um, just just a phenomenal year for growth. I even saw a couple mule deer bucks that had just, you could tell they were young deer, and I mean, they had just blown up their 160, 180-inch bucks, where I don't think normally they'd make 120. Um, so the, the antler growth was phenomenal on the elk and deer. is absolutely horrible on the antelope. Um, the conditions were really poor. as dry, dusty, um, just some of the worst feed conditions I've seen in a long time up in Unit 10. And like I said, there was very, very few dirt tanks that had water. You would get into a, a little draw or a canyon, and you could tell instantly that they had gotten a couple um, monsoons or rainstorms, and the green up was pretty good and there might have been a little bit of runoff and those holding some water and some dirt tanks and the elk were really focusing in those areas so i know the elk hunters you know most of those hunts early hunts are done now but um the guys that got into those areas did really really well so. how do you think that's going to play with i mean because i'm hearing especially in that nine ten area just horrible feed conditions uh moving forward uh, you know, going into late fall and winter, that's usually not a good kind of combination to have. What are your thoughts on that? I think they're going to struggle, um, especially if we end up with a, a wet winter, um, you know, with heavy snow. I think they're going to have a hard time finding the food that they need to make it through. The one thing that I think in their favor, and it's not something that I really had anticipated at all, I don't think they had a, a huge, strong, aggressive rut, um, widespread. There, there were pockets that were, were really going and, and going hard. So my hope is a lot of the bulls, you know, didn't exert that energy that they normally would, and they're able to carry their fat uh, build up through the, the fall and into the winter, and that might help considerably um, because I don't think they're going to have really much to eat as far as their normal winter food that they would go through. Um, you know, all, all the grasses that had gone, that had come in real strong for through the spring, they were basically burnt up and done, and there wasn't any real new growth widespread. And, you know, like I said, there's pockets that were, were pretty good. But if we come in and we have a pretty wet winter, I, I think it's going to hurt the elk and deer um, pretty hard. I, you know, I'd, I hate to see that because we had such a great antler growth this year, but uh, the stars didn't line up for us. I mean, it, it's not going to be one of those carryovers into next year where I think we're going to see it again. I think, I think what made it through is is going to struggle this winter. So. You talk about, and we've talked about it on podcasts before. Um, you know your stuff you do in Mexico, and you know I remember last year, if I remember right, you went on an early trip, and then you said, I'm never going to do that again. I think you took your cameras down early, and, and you said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm curious if you've gone back on that, and you're, you know, a glutton for punish, punishment again, and, and going to take them down early, or what your strategy is uh, for your coos deer in Mexico? No, I'm sticking to it, Jay. I'm, you know, um, <laughs> Tim, my, my partner that 
I'm involved with the Mexico stuff with. He he and his boy went down in early October and set some cameras, and then we made an early trip after that. And, and <laughs> we number one, we didn't get the quality of pictures or the amount of pictures that we were hoping for. We were hoping to really catch some bucks um, and be able to pattern them and see what they were doing, and it just wasn't there. Uh, I think there was enough water that they weren't focusing everywhere, and they just weren't moving and doing anything. So between the bugs and the brush and the heat, it just wasn't worth it at all. So I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm not doing it. Um, let another year or two of the, the pain go by and dull, and then I might do it again. But not this year. It's just not going to happen. Uh, that being said, we used to make our main camera trip right after Thanksgiving. And this year we're actually going to do it a couple weeks before. Um, so there's a couple reasons for that. Is One, it gives us a little more time for the cameras to soak uh, before we go down in December. But the other reason is we kind of think it'll be cool enough that we can get some cameras up. It's still going to be pretty hot, but we want to cover as much country as we can, and it worked out where we have the time to do it. Um, you know, in about early, I think it's around the 14th, mid mid November, I guess, that we're going to go down, and uh, we we have high hopes to look at some some outlying areas again. But also, what we had done is we worked with our cowboys and our ranchers, and we put in some drinkers in some areas that historically have always dried up by the time we get there we know the genetics are there we know the bucks are there we find the sheds um but there was never any water when we get down there to hunt in december and january so we're going to go down and, and spend some time on those drinkers and then we've really um stepped up our efforts on predator control as far as uh you know trying to trap some and poison some and do different things down there and we're going to spend a little time doing that in early november as well um and see see how it pays off see what's been going on and and if we can really identify that the numbers of coyotes and stuff are down so um that's kind of our strategy where we we reduce the tags that we normally buy um from last year uh, and we kind of want to let it be a rebuilding year, um, get some more carryover bucks from year after year, come back. And my hopes are high. I mean, I, I lived basically to go down there. It, it, it's absolutely um, what I look forward to the most out of every year. And uh, this year is no different. So uh, they've, they've had really spotty rains down there as well, um, very lackluster monsoon. Um, they have had a couple decent ones where they got a little bit of runoff, so I'm, I'm hoping it's just that right mixture of enough water, but not too much um, where the deer are completely spread out, but enough where the predators aren't lying at the only water and eating them every time they come in. So looking forward to it. When you, when you talk about drinkers that you guys made, um, talk a little bit about what you've done as far as how did you do it. I mean, did you go full-blown like... Um, Arizona Game of Fish type drinkers with aprons and all of that, or are you just talking about concrete water troughs or hauling water or what? So what we did is, and it's fairly cost effective as long as you have some cowboys that don't mind maintaining them for you and, you know, um, that sort of thing. But we bought a couple 300-gallon square storage tanks, basically what you see in everyone's pickup up in Unit 10 that have tried to homestead up there, you know, uh, they're basically a square pallet tank, and they're 300 gallons, plastic, and then they have a metal cage around them. We bought a couple of those, and then we bought a couple of plastic tubs, 
and then a float system, some water line. And what we did is uh, basically trenched um, gravity fed from the pallet tank down into the drinker, dug it in where it's flush with the ground uh, on a couple of them, and then the others we put just above ground. And then we've put the gravity fed system to where it'll go in a float in a water tank, just like you'd see on basically any spring or pump fed uh, cattle system. And then we went a little further and fenced them in so that way the cattle won't go in and drink them dry in no time. Um, normally when that, you know, when they get to wanting the water that bad, they'll, the cowboys will move them out of that pasture anyway. But that's all we did. It, it's fairly cheap, um, you know, inexpensive. And the cowboys, depending on the temperature and the amount of use that the drinker's getting, you know, have to go and fill it up once a month. Um, typically, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. It all depends on the need. But it's allowed us to get those areas that we, you know, we want to hunt and want to hold deer year-round instead of just during, um, you know, the spring and summer, and then they leave during the fall. But um, it, from what we can tell so far, it's worked out pretty good. I'll, I'll know a little bit more come December after we've cameraed up a lot of these areas and uh, see how it works. But we have pretty high hopes for it. I know that. When you talk about fencing those areas, how big a fencing, I mean, a corral, so to speak, do you make it, um, you know, What's your, what's your dimension, roughly? So it, you, you don't want it too close. I mean, you want them to feel like they're not confined, basically. Um, but it doesn't have to be real big either, and you only have to do the water trough. So 30 by 30, 40 by 40, somewhere right in there. Um, we'll try and do it where if, if we have the natural habitat, like if you have some trees or something, to incorporate that into the fence as a corner. Um, that works real well. And then just run a, a three or four strand fence instead of you know getting into a five or anything like that. But um, it needs to be big enough. We found out that, that the animals don't feel like they're they're closed in. Um, so thirty thirty by thirty, forty by forty, somewhere in there. I wouldn't go any smaller than that by any means. Um, on water or salt or anything, you're trying to keep the cattle out of. The deer just kind of seem like they get a little little claustrophobic, so to speak. Yeah, so in other words, if they crawl under or hop the fence, which I'll have you tell me what they mostly do on, you know, how do you set your pipe and your wire up, but um, once they're in there and they're drinking, you want them to be able to take a couple of leaps to bound over the fence if, if a predator comes, right? I mean, if you feel like it's, you know, five, you know, 10 by 10, it's so tight that something could easily grab them because they don't have a chance to take a couple of running steps and jump something, right? Correct, correct. And that that's kind of an interesting point is, um, for whatever reason, I have never seen a coos deer in Mexico jump a fence. Um, they always <laughs> they are always going under. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I've seen 115, 120-inch bucks going underneath the fence coming into a dry tank or a dirt tank, and I'm like, why is that, why does that buck do that? And it's funny <laughs> for a long time. Easily I just don't believe it. Yeah. yeah. And, but they always seem to go under um, for whatever reason. So try and make that, that bottom wire up, you know, 10, 12 inches, just so it seems to be easier for them. But you nailed it on the head. If it's, if it's too close, they just feel like they're too vulnerable to predators, and they just feel like they're trapped. And if you spread that out a little bit and give them, you know, some room to roam, so to speak, and room to be able to feel like they can maneuver, then they're a lot more apt to spend more time there and come on in. 
Bill, uh, it's always great having you on the podcast. I kind of want to end with um, some tips that you might have for guys going out specifically on these October and November coos deer hunts. Um, you know, just just tips in general. Uh, you know, glassing. Uh, you know, strategy, tactics, whatever it may be. Um, specific to the October and these kind of mid-November, early November Tuesday hunts since you've done them for so long, uh, and maybe even some things you see people do that are maybe wrong that you would say, hey, try this, try this, try this. You got any of those tips for us? I, I can give it a shot, Jay. Um, the first thing that I would say is, if you don't already have some bucks pattern going into this first October hunt, um, that's okay. I mean, most people that draw this first hunt, they draw it because they have bucks that they've patterned all summer and they're gonna, they want the first crack at going to try and get them. However, if you've drawn it and you don't have that situation, it's okay. You can still be successful and be very successful. The thing about these early hunts is most of our units have a ton of tags and there's going to be a lot of people out there you can't let that frustrate you. You cannot let that basically drive your determination down or get your your dauber down, so so to speak. You have to stay positive. And one thing I found, like I was out on a bear hunt a couple weekends ago, and the mountains were just crawling with people. I mean, trucks and hounds and side-by-sides and everything. I mean, it, it probably more people than I've seen in the woods in a long time. And the interesting thing about that is I I got up on a point where I could see some country, and I mean, some of it was right around main roads, and then I could see back in other country, and I found, I mean, I was seeing deer all day long, and it didn't matter how many people were driving by, they would just sit tight, the truck would leave, and then it'd go back to feeding, so don't let the pressure get to you. Obviously, you want to try and find places that you have you, to yourself, but if you can't do that, don't let it get you down. Look in the places that people are driving by where they're not spending the time. If the deer have water and they have cover, they're going to be there. Um, so you just got to dig them out. The other thing is it's, it's going to be hot. It's going to be warm. I would try and key around areas that you know there's some water within a, a mile or two of it at the most. Um, but also try and grind it out all day. I was blown away when I was out there glassing for bears about how many deer I was watching. I mean, we know it. You, you, they get up and down all day. But, I mean, I was actually watching big, mature bucks feed in the middle of the day. And even though it was hot, they were in that shady spot and the breeze was blowing and they were up getting groceries. And then they'd lay down for a while and get back up. So so pound it out if you can. You know, get in those areas where you can glass and and glass into the shady sides of the, the hillsides and the slopes and don't overlook the, the obvious areas that people just drive by. Little rollers, little draws that provide the cover for the deer and they feel safe. Um, just just really focus in on stuff like that and and keep it up. Um, you know, enjoy the time that you got in the woods for sure and uh, go out there and just pound it away. The other thing I'd, I'd say going into these early hunts we still haven't got a lot of rain in a lot of areas. That being said, you can find, I mean, going into these units, you will see where you've gotten the most recent rain, and the, the grass looks great. The mesquites look good. If you're in the mesquites, concentrate on the areas that have good beans. Um, if you're in the oaks, acorns seem to just be everywhere this year, and the deer are fat. I mean, they are just, 
munching the heck out of the acorns and key in on those areas and focus in, and I think you'll be successful. Awesome, man. Those are great tips. Uh, it's always great having you on the podcast. Uh, just a wealth of knowledge, and I look forward to probably after your uh, December who's tag maybe before you go to Mexico before I go to Mexico we'll do a recap there and kind of by then you might have a idea of your hit list in Mexico and it's always nice to kind of have a have a going into the season going into the Tuesday season in Mexico podcast so I know the listeners enjoy uh listening to you and uh, if you guys don't follow Phil on Instagram you need to that's Kramer with a C Kramer Hunts uh, on Instagram and uh, Phil, um, God bless, man. Thanks for uh, coming on and sharing with us. Well, thank you, Jay. Thanks, thanks a lot. I always appreciate it, and it's always good. And uh, you know, if anyone's got any questions or just want to shoot the breeze about coos deer or hunting in general, I'm always available, and uh, you know, I love to do that. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you, and God bless to you, and good luck on the rest of the season. All right, buddy. Take care.